everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times. This is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. I say alongside Andy Bitter. I guess it's not technically true. I am in a in my home office here, and Andy is in his home. And we're doing this over the phone because we're having some equipment issues with our regular microphone. But hopefully this, this will sound just fine. This is how we did it last week, and I think it turned out okay. Uh, we've got some things to cover today. Uh, surprisingly, the, the offseason of, of misery for Virginia Tech continues with the uh, Josh Jackson up in the air news. Uh, the what if contingencies, we'll get into that. If he's not eligible, uh, we'll, we'll discuss what they'll have to do in that case or what they might do. Uh, recruiting is uh, on the upswing. We'll get into that and we'll talk Michigan, or sorry, Michigan series being replaced by Middle Tennessee State. Um, and we'll get into Bronco Mendenhall's comments up at UVA. That should be a little fun discussion. The World Cup's here. The draft, we have a draft today. The top five non-conference opponents we want Virginia Tech to schedule that are currently not on Virginia Tech's non-conference schedule. That should be fun. And we'll get out of here with a prediction on who's going to win the World Cup because we know Andy is the a foremost authority on soccer. Andy, I, I, this, I feel like summer has officially begun. I've still got a busy week as I prepare for vacation, but once the high schools are over, you know, Memorial Day is sort of the official start for a lot of people, but we, we work on Memorial Day typically, and then the following week, summer gets kicked off Andy, do you have any big summer plans this year uh we've got some trips but the, the, what's summer what are you talking about this non-stop news at virginia tech whether it's guys getting injured or quarterbacks possibly getting kicked off the team there has not been an off season at virginia tech so far so i'm, I'm very much looking forward to having some downtime but uh, it has not come here yet I was talking with a, a friend of mine at the at the Salem Red Sox game last night who's a big Hokie fan, and he says he couldn't remember. He's a longtime Hokie fan. He couldn't remember an offseason this tumultuous for Virginia Tech. Uh, and I know you haven't been covering the beat all that long, but if you could you pinpoint one? I guess maybe back when they were getting sanctioned and things like that might have been the last time one was so volatile as this. Well, I want to say Dwight Vick tweeted something about one of those mid '90s years where he's like, "We had 22 arrests one year, and like still went to the Orange <laughs> right. Bowl or something like that." It's like, oh my gosh, could you imagine the team having 22 arrests in this day and age of college football and social media? It'd be like anarchy. I mean, it'd be the end of the world and something like that. Uh, I can't remember one quite like this. I mean, I think I think some at Auburn, uh, the you know the post national championship season at Auburn, where four guys got arrested for armed robbery and the trees got poisoned, was a pretty uh, <laughs> pretty crazy off season. But uh, yeah, Virginia Tech sort of bills itself as sort of the no drama school. It's consistent. The coaches are there all the time. It's going to be a consistent coaching staff, and this has been a very inconsistent off season. So. Uh, a little unusual in Blacksburg, and uh, you know, and, until we hear uh, what this Josh Jackson news is going to be, it's it's sort of going to have that level on, of uncertainty. And uh, quite honestly, uh, we record these; we're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, by the time we finish this and hit the record off button, I guarantee you that some sort of news with Josh Jackson will break because that seems to be how things work whenever we record a podcast. That's true. Uh, you know, I remember a year. Uh, under Seth Greenberg at Virginia Tech basketball, and, and the team just had a, a slew of things happen, one after the other, that just were kind of catastrophic. Some more serious than other, you know, family members dying and things like that. But we were, you know, we had a sort of a line in the 
in the press corps that you know we just had all the bullet points lined up on our computers and we could just hit control c control v and put them into our stories you know and it feels like that way with this this offseason of tech you know with with the recruiting turn and all the things that have happened and now let, let's get into jackson as much as we can i know there's a, there's a lot that uh you know, it's just rumor right now, and it really can't be reported with any kind of authority and be a, and be fair to somebody. Uh, but what do we know about the Josh Jackson situation, and what are your thoughts on what might happen? Well, what we know is the university is looking into an academics-related issue. Uh, that's about as far as I can go reporting, like you said, with any sort of certainty and authority on it. Uh, it does not sound like this is something similar to Adonis Alexander, who was just ineligible, just didn't have the grades to continue. Uh, he is not suspended. I mean, that was reported last week incorrectly that he was indefinitely suspended. He's not. He's still a part of the team. He's still able to take place in voluntary off-season workouts. Uh and it's kind of uncertain when this thing is all going to get wrapped up. Uh, you know, I know, uh, you know, Mike Barber from the Richmond Times Dispatch talked to Fred Jackson last week, uh, Josh's father, and said, you know, we'll find out something in two days. Well, it's now five or six days later, and there's nothing out there. The people I have talked to said that was extremely optimistic to think that it would be wrapped up that quickly. Uh, and quite honestly, this is outside of the athletic department's hands. So, you know, anybody that says that they know when this is going to get wrapped up, I don't think they really know. Uh, with all, any certainty about how this is going to go. Because, you know, these football coaches are very used to just sort of being the guy in charge, the final arbiter of, you know, I decide whether this guy is going to be on the team or not. Uh, this is a university process, and the university process doesn't care if it's the starting quarterback or some kid that's in a biology class or something like that. There's going to be a line that he has to wait in before this happens. There's going to be a process that goes through, and they're going to render their decision. So, uh, yeah, right now it's everything's just sort of wait and see exactly how this is going to go and, and honestly I, I couldn't predict one way or another i know that uh, you know virginia tech athletic officials are hopeful that there would be a positive uh resolution to this whole thing but I, you know i think part of that is speaking to josh's character and what they know of him and uh they, I, I don't know if they're necessarily speaking from what they think the process will be yeah i think you brought up josh, uh, fred jackson's comments to, to barbara there and i think that tells you something i mean you know, if he, he was making a prediction that, that turned out to be incorrect, if the father doesn't even know how long this could take or how short it could be, uh, there, there's really no way for anybody to know as the process bears itself out. Let's talk about worst-case scenario. I mean, let's say, you know, uh, the worst-case scenario would be that he's he's not eligible to play this year, okay? And so what – and I actually think there's probably some in the fan base, and we've talked about this before, who might uh, – be a little happy about that because they they want to see one of the younger guys or they want to see Ryan Willis uh, after seeing him play well in the spring game and and knowing that he has some experience from Kansas and he's sort of an unknown unlike Jackson who we've we've seen put a lot on film. What uh, what do you think would happen at the quarterback position at Tech if Josh were ruled ineligible? Well, I, I, first of all, I'd say the first uh, the worst case scenario I think is they get kicked out of school. I mean, I, I think it could be even worse than a suspension. Uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting if, in fact, he does not play this year. Uh, you're, you know, you're going from a guy that you were very excited about having back for a second year, something Fuente hadn't had in a quarterback in his his first two years here. That was part of the reason for the optimism on this offense was that, you know, you have an older Josh Jackson, somebody that took his lumps a little bit during a, a pretty good redshirt freshman year that you would expect him to take a step forward in his development and be better in this offense, certainly as other guys grow around him as well. Uh, if you remove that, you're sort of 
you know, not quite back to square one, but you take a little bit step uh, of a step back experience-wise with Ryan Willis, who I, you know, I I would assume that he would be the next guy up, just kind of considering how they finished the spring. Uh, you know, Hendon Hooker may have done a lot better in spring practice than we saw, but if you just, you know, everybody has eyes, and they saw what happened at the spring game, and uh, Willis looked a lot more prepared uh, to play in that moment than Hooker did. So, you know, I don't want to say that's definitely the order, but just, you know, guessing from how things went, I think Willis would be the next guy up. Uh, you know, he played at Kansas, kind of was thrown into the fire early there, uh, you know, probably before he was ready on a team that was not ready to support a freshman quarterback like that. And I think he had 12 touchdowns and 17 interceptions in parts of two seasons where he played before he transferred. So I don't really want to go completely by that, but uh, you know, it's it's not this wealth of experience uh, of real big production that he's had throughout his career. You know, he sat out last year. Uh, I think Jackson was a clear number one guy in the spring, even if Fuente didn't say it. Uh, you know, I think you lose some stuff going to a new guy like that. And, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think he's more athletic than people give him credit for. You know, we saw an open practice where he was running around and, and scrambled on one play. And I, I kind of said to myself, I'm like, man, he moves better than I would thought. Uh, for a guy that sort of has this reputation as a you know midwestern gunslinger type, uh, but you know you, you, you lose a guy who's been in the offense for a full season like Jackson potentially, uh, and I, I think the value of that is he understands defenses, he understands how to get the offense in good plays, and uh, you wonder if Willis has quite that understanding of the offense at this stage. I ask you this only because I get asked this a lot when when people are talking about Jackson. Quincy Patterson, the six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound dual threat quarterback from Chicago, Illinois, is coming in this this fall, uh, this August. You know, percentage chance that he could even be in the mix discussion for starting against Florida State. Uh, what would you put that at? Uh, is there a number lower than zero for Florida State? Okay. I mean, there's <laughs> I I there's no chance. I mean, there's just not. I I think you look at Quincy and his high school film. And it's, he's very raw at this point. I, I've talked to him once before. He was he was up for a national uh, scholar athlete, black scholar athlete award uh, in you know, I think it was March. Uh, he was in Washington D.C. for that. He won it actually. And I spoke to him about it. He's a really mature kid, uh, you know, emotionally and the, academically and all that stuff. But the football maturity is a different thing. Uh, and even he said, you know, I'm from Chicago. I'm not from Texas or California or Florida, sort of these football hotbeds where the competition is really good. You got year round camps. You have quarterback schools that you go to all the time. You know, he's from, you know, the, the city in Chicago. He played at a private school that does not really produce uh, uh, these kind of D1 athletes all the time. And I don't think they played against it during the season against a lot of competition that's like that. So I think there's a lot of refining with his mechanics and his football development that's going to need to take place, and that's what you do during a redshirt year. Uh, now, if, if Jackson is not on the team this year, uh, you probably have to dress Patterson just to take him in case because, I mean, you're talking about you've got Ryan Willis, Hendon Hooker as the guys competing for the starting job, whoever's not the starter, obviously the backup. And other than that, on the roster, you have Chase Mumau who, you know, his claim to fame so far was that they snuck him into a, a number 90-something jersey and threw a fake pass on a, on a punt out of a punt formation in the uh, uh, Camping World Bowl last year. So uh, you don't really have this deep wealth of quarterbacks uh, if Jackson is not here. And, you know, I, I think you have to dress Patterson, bring him to games, maybe a lot like they did with Hendon Hooker uh, last year. But I just can't see a situation where 
uh, he's in line to play. Certainly not to start at the beginning of the year, but I think if you don't play him in the first half of the year, you probably want to preserve that year with a redshirt. Okay. Well, we'll hope for Josh Jackson's sake that everything comes out uh, clean for him. But uh, if not, we'll be back to discuss more next week, I'm sure. Yeah, you uh, know, I don't, want, I don't want to discount Hendon Hooker's shot. I mean, he's still yeah. very young in his career. Uh, I think a lot of people forget he's only a redshirt freshman. He's only been here a year and a half. Uh, a lot of times, you know, these guys, you know these guys so much from the recruiting uh, circuit that it feels like they've been a part of the team longer than they actually have. Uh, you know, I think this is a normal development for a redshirt freshman. I get these questions all the time. It's like, what's wrong with Hendon Hooker? Why isn't he doing better than he is? It's like, he's a redshirt freshman. Not a lot of redshirt freshmen. I mean, this is what Josh Jackson was before he started that West Virginia game last year. That's the stage of his career that Hendon Hooker is at. So uh, with some more experienced guys on the roster, I think, yeah, relatively, he's probably not going to look as prepared as those guys just because he hasn't seen as many live reps like that. But you know, he's still a 6'4", 215-pound dual-threat guy. I think there's still a very high ceiling with him. And, uh, you know, if something does happen to Jackson, I think that he's definitely a, a viable option at quarterback and certainly could be somebody that works his way into the mix. And then that Greensboro reporter would have a reason to be up here when he comes. Oh, man, I think he would uh, sublet someplace up in, in Blacksburg if that were the case. <laughs> All right, well, the last time we touched on recruiting, seriously, you and I, I mean, you had a, an entire recruiting podcast with a recruiting expert, but you and I talked about it after Devin Ford uh, decided to go to Penn State, and that was a big blow to the Hokies' recruiting class. Since that time, there's been a couple commitments that have brightened the outlook a little bit. Uh, tell me about those, and uh, what kind of players are, are is Tech getting, uh, and, and where? Well, the first one was last Thursday. Uh, Cameron Kelly out of Oscar Smith High in Chesapeake is a, a four-star athlete that, you know, in late April – didn't even have Virginia Tech in his top eight. You know, they, these tw- you guys always tweet out their top. Here's my top eight that I'm considering. And Virginia Tech wasn't even in it. Uh, I think a lot of people assumed he would go to Penn State just because all the you know there's a lot of momentum there, and Penn State was sort of raiding the state. Uh, you know, Clemson seemed like a possibility. I don't know how real the offer at Clemson was, how committable that was. Uh, but as it turns out, right before he had his ceremony last Thursday, you look at the, the 247 Sports crystal ball is sort of you know a finger in the wind to see what direction that's going. And like the day before that or the day of everybody flipped their pick to Virginia tech out of the, out of the blue. Uh, so that was sort of a surprise. Uh, I think he leaned into it in his announcement uh, where he said he had a Clemson hat and a Penn state hat on the table. And he said, we are all in the two slogans for those schools. And then he goes to Virginia tech and everybody took off their jackets and had Virginia tech shirts on uh, did not go over well with the Penn state coaches uh, <laughs> who, Kenny Sanders, the assistant director of player personnel, tweeted something. Uh, he said, gobble this up. And then there's a picture. It says, a lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep. Uh, so I think Virginia Tech fans probably love the fact that they tweaked uh, Penn State a little bit in that whole thing, considering the success the Nittany Lions had had in Virginia. But, you know, Kelly, I think, is the number five player in the state of Virginia, which – you know, until last week, people were thinking they were going to get shut out. And then on Sunday, they get a uh, a commitment from a, a fast-rising prospect from L.C. Bird. Uh, Jaden, and I think I'm saying his last name right, Payote, P-A-Y-O-U-T-E. I'm not sure exactly how you say that. Uh, when he committed, I tweeted, I'm not hallucinating. Jordan Payote commits to the Hokies. And I, th- I think maybe that like was one, a good one. I think one person like responded is like, I see what you did there. And I'm not sure if everybody caught it. I'm hoping they did because I like to make bad puns like that on Twitter. Uh, but well, he's a good. guy, 
he's a class five 100 meter champion i mean he i think it was 10.67 seconds he ran in the state meters state tournament state meet i should say uh just recently uh I don't think he was really this highly ranked until recently. He did some camps. He did a, a camp with Virginia Tech last week at Randolph-Macon that uh, really opened some eyes, ran an incredible 40 time when he was up there. Uh, Pitt was the first Power 5 team to offer, I think. Then Virginia Tech, Tennessee, a bunch of schools came on board uh, in the last week, and Virginia Tech ended up getting the commitment over the weekend. They had a, a big recruiting weekend here. So uh, he, in the composite rankings on 247, is ranked third. Uh, it wasn't wasn't a while ago, but now he's shot up to number three. So you're looking at they have the number three and number five guys in the state. Uh, Jesse Hansen from Daleville at Lord Botetot is number 13. They're in good shape on another athlete in the top five or top ten, Tavian Robinson. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago it looked like they might get shut out in the top five, perhaps even the top ten, and now you're looking at possibly getting four of the top 13 in the state. Uh, you know, in, in the aftermath of the Devin Ford news, I think there's a lot of doom and gloom around report, or recruiting, and now all of a sudden things look pretty much okay. Well, that's good. That's good. You, you know, the doom and gloom is uh, is only temporary. You know, and we talked about it when when the guy committed. We said, you know, it's, it's dangerous to make sweeping uh, statements about you know a, a school's recruiting prowess based on you know the decision of one player. I mean, we, we were all 17 or 18 years old at one point, and we all understand uh, you know that that we didn't have the same uh, thought processes as our best friends or our family members, and so you know you just never know where it's going to go. So uh, good to see for Virginia Tech's sake that um, that recruiting took a turn for the better here uh, in the last week or so. Well, I um, get questions another... all, I get questions all the time about, you know, is is recruiting improving under Fuente? And I I've said it has. And you know, you look at the national rankings and I think people look at the national rankings and you see them sort of in the mid 20s, you know, 30s. I think right now they're 26th or something like that in this class and it's about the same as what Beamer had always had. If you look a little bit deeper in those numbers, and I wrote about this yesterday, uh, it's it's the thing listed at the top of my blog on the website. Uh, if you look at the average recruit ranking of the classes that Fuente has landed, uh, this is the highest it's ever been. Uh, you know, 247 Sports has this scale. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech's average is 0.9444, and that is meaningless to, to people that don't follow this sort of stuff. But 247 Sports says a recruit from 0.90 to 0.97 is the top 300 uh, you know, four-star, all-American candidate type of recruit. And that's about Virginia Tech's average recruit in this current class. Now, it's only eight members deep, uh, so that's probably a reason. I think as they add more guys, that'll lower the average a little bit. And average isn't always the best thing. I mean, you have an, an outlier that's a really uh, low-rated uh, guy that's going to throw the whole thing out of whack. But uh, I think that's a sign that this staff has done a pretty good job of, of bringing in a higher level of talent than what they had previously or at least it's trending in that direction, even though, you know, you look at the national rankings, it might not necessarily reflect that as much. Right, right. All right, well, another bit of news in the past week was that Miss Chicken Wolver Scaredy Cats, how do you like that pun? Uh, the Michigan uh, Scaredy Cats and Wolverines is, is about the same thing as far as I'm concerned. When they pulled out of their series with Virginia Tech for 2020 and 2021, uh, they need, Tech needed a replacement, and the replacement has been named. It is Middle Tennessee State. Um, or is it just Middle Tennessee now? I is think it, it's just Middle it Tennessee. Both? I think they're trying to yeah, drop the just, state. But when you abbreviate it, there's no other way to do it but MTSU. So, 
I think anytime you get a directional school, the initial reaction is, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, you know, that's nothing. Uh, but it, you wrote this week that it makes sense on several levels. Uh, tell us why it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they were kind of in a bind when Michigan canceled. I mean, it was only two and three years out of when these games are going to be played. And, you know, in a sport where they typically make these at least a decade in advance, you know, sometimes longer. I mean, Tech has games in 2030 that are already on the schedule or have been for a couple years. Uh, that's tough to do because people fill up in their classes. And, uh, you know, they were in a tough spot because, you know, they were overscheduled in 2021. It was initially West Virginia, Notre Dame, and Michigan all in that same year. So I think that's why when Michigan canceled the series that Virginia Tech wasn't all too broken up about it because, you know, first of all, they got $375,000 out of the deal. It's a cancellation fee. Uh, second of all, it allowed them to find maybe a little more reasonable opponent for that 2021 schedule. The issue was is that they also played Michigan in 2020 when the schedule, you know, they have Penn State that year, but they, the schedule's not quite as strong. Uh, there were not a ton of options to try to wedge it into those dates. Middle Tennessee was one of a couple schools. I think Teal, David Teal, the Daily Press, uh, looked through all the schedules of the FBS and, and saw that Middle Tennessee, Cincinnati, and... Uh, some other school. I can't remember the other school. There were like three schools that had available slots in those two years. Uh, so unless you're going to do a home and home where you get one in one year and then one like in 2032 or something like that, it was going to be very difficult to find a name opponent to put into this. And I don't know how motivated Tech was, uh, certainly with how tough that 2021 schedule was. So they get Middle Tennessee who could accommodate it. Uh, you don't typically see a home-and-home home with a team from the Conference USA like this. Normally it's a two-for-one deal, but uh, again, Virginia Tech was in a tough spot. So, you know, Middle Tennessee had all the leverage in this situation. Uh, they get it. It's sort of a regional matchup. I mean, Murfreesboro is six hours away from Blacksburg, so it's drivable. Uh, you know, Nashville is right there. It's, it's like 40 minutes south of Nashville. So you know, I, I've said to people, don't look at this as a trip, a game at Middle Tennessee. Look at it as a road trip to Nashville. And I think that, you know, kind of perks people up a little bit. Uh, and then financially it made sense. I mean, the, the Hokies get $250,000 to travel to Middle Tennessee. Uh, the Blue Raiders get 500000 to come to Blacksburg. Uh, if you're just looking to try to fill those two slots with one-off opponents where there's no return trip on the other side of it, some of those com schools command north of a million dollars now to come in and play. I think I think some of the highest out there have been like 1.8 million or something like that. And so so just financially, uh, it probably made a lot of sense for Virginia Tech to do this matchup, even if you know quite frankly it was never gonna it was never gonna be equal to the Michigan series, and it probably doesn't excite the fan base very much. Well, we'll be talking about non-conference opponents when I do our draft. But you know what I did as soon as I was going to be Middle Tennessee, I typed in Murfreesboro into Google Maps and saw if I could draw some sort of line that went through Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh, and you can do it, but it also adds some beauty and some rubber band banks to your bank account uh, if you do do that. But, yeah, you're right. Nashville's a nice town, man. Uh, I would imagine if we are still – uh, compadres at that point, we will probably stay in Nashville the night before and have a little fun there as opposed to doing what I would prefer, which would be go to Cherokee. What do you well, think? Well, I, I have actually done that trip before. Uh, Virginia in 2007 played at Middle Tennessee, and it was some weird thing where uh, it was related to the MAC at the time or something like that and Temple having to back out of a series, and they had to fill it quickly, and they got like a bunch of home games for this one road game that they were going to play. I don't know if those ever materialized, all those home games, but it was some weird thing where uh, Virginia had to go out there and play, and I stayed in Nashville the night before uh, 
I can remember that trip. Had a very good time in Nashville. Uh, and then went down and covered a pretty good game that, uh, you know, Virginia won it on the, you know, they had a, a late drive down the field and Chris Gold kicked a field goal with like eight seconds left and they won it 23 to 21, I think was the final score. Uh, Dwight Dasher, I think was the quarterback for, for uh, Middle Tennessee. And he had a really good game. He's like a dual threat guy. They had like a hundred yards rushing. I think I remember Al Groh after the game's like, Dwight Dasher, and he's exactly that. He's a Dasher. <laughs> it was the most Al Groh line afterwards. But that was not a bad trip. I enjoyed going to Nashville, in Murfreesboro. I can't remember the stadium too much, but I don't think it was terrible, uh, the situation going in there. So this should be an interesting one to travel to, I think. I'm glad you brought up Al Groh. Since not, because, not since Al Groh have we had a, a – a football coach in Charlottesville as entertaining as Bronco Menden Hall. And I know this is a Hokie podcast, but I know a lot of Hokie fans are interested in what goes on up the road, especially when what goes up on up the road is potentially disastrous and or funny. This week <laughs> that was reported out of Charlottesville, uh, some, some comments that Bronco made at the board of visitors meetings. Uh, some of the highlights included, you know, that they wanted to play the worst power five uh, non-conference foe they could find. Uh, they only had 27 uh, ACC caliber players on their current roster uh, and other goodies of note. I, I I think some of it was a little blown out of proportion uh, just because some of it just on its face was kind of hilarious. And why would you say that? But Bronco you know, since he's gotten on campus in 2016, I mean, he has been fairly blunt with the, with the media, you know, it wasn't, you know, people are saying, well, he, he wouldn't say this if he knew reporters were there. I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, if you're going to say it to them, you might say it to us because he's, he's been uh, not so complimentary about his team in several ways uh, uh, along the way. Uh, I want to get your thoughts first on that. I have, I have my own thoughts on what went up on, on in that meeting, but what were your thoughts when you first heard some of the things that were coming out of there? Uh, I think that somebody gave him a dose of truth serum before he went in there. I don't think anything he said was incorrect. It was just very blunt, and it's a bluntness you don't normally hear today. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he cites the you know 27 ACC-level players on his roster, and I think he repeated that fact and has said it several times. That, you know, I think Teal followed up after listening to the whole thing, and it's like, it might be true, but do you come out and say that? <laughs> Uh, I realize saying this as a reporter, I shouldn't be saying this. I'm like, no, no, by all means, say this stuff. It's very interesting. Uh, you know, the Power 5 scheduling thing, I want to play the worst team. I mean, he's right. I mean, they should, they're scheduled to play Georgia in a couple of years. I mean, that's going to be a bloodbath. You don't want to play Georgia. You don't want to play uh, at USC. And, you know, I guess the Boise thing worked out because they went there and won last year. But they've just had a lot of uh, non-conference games where it's like you're a middle of the pack, lower pack ACC team. You should be striving to get to that bowl eligibility uh, line. I guess that's kind of what they've done with, by scheduling Indiana, even though they lost that game last year. Uh, I think if you're Virginia, maybe don't quite use that kind of language. We want to play the worst power five team because the joke writes itself as you can't play yourself as all the Hokies fans, <laughs> right. all the Hokies fans mentioned on Twitter after it happened you know, the Spider-Man meme of him pointing at himself that, you know, that that's a tailor made for that kind of stuff, but he's not wrong in the sense that they don't need to schedule as ambitiously as they had in the past. Uh, I think I would have maybe softened the edges a little bit in some of those things that I said, but you know, like you said, that's how Bronco is. And I think when you hear the comments in the full context of the, well, what's it? 20, 30 minutes, something like 27 minutes, however long you talk to the board of visitors, I think you hear 
uh, more of sort of you know what he's talking about, the vision he has for the program. Uh, it it did not play well like that in the way that it was presented on Twitter. Uh, but that's sort of what Twitter is, is people take things out of context and they run with it and they make jokes. And, you know, that was a very, uh, you know, comic heavy thing that people can make a lot of jokes about. Well, as our colleague Doug Gowdy pointed out in the column this week, you know, if you only have 27 ACC caliber players on your roster, whose fault is that? You know, like you, you, you're not, uh, you don't, you're not in the pros where you have a GM selecting the players. It's, it's, you, you know, I know you, you're in the process of, of overhauling your recruiting and, and bringing in guys, but uh, it's your job to mold them and, and turn them into ACC caliber players. And so far, you know, that's been a struggle for him. I do, I do enjoy listening to him talk. Uh, he can get very highfalutin, as you as you can see from some of those quotes in there. He can get kind of highfalutin and and sort of. Uh, self-help book uh, he could sound like a self-help book come to life a lot of times you know but it, it is it is different and i enjoy different and so it was it was pretty entertaining and then of course the next recruit that virginia announces uh you, you can go ahead and deliver that punchline it comes out on twitter that they've they've landed a recruit and and it's not a joke the recruit is from where it's from Denmark. He's an offensive lineman from Denmark. I saw the retweet. It was like his first tweet. Like Barber retweeted it, and it was the kid's first tweet. I'm like, is this real? And then I, you know, I look for the 247 Sports database. I'm like, he's from Denmark. Like at a, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the 27 ACC caliber guys. It's like this isn't his first year. This isn't the roster he inherited. He's had three signing classes now. And I know, right? I, I think there's a question of whether the the current signing class was included in that 27 i don't think it was and i think that's why he thinks it'll be up to 44 uh after these current guys get here but uh you know he had a transition class and those are always tough but you can find some guys out of there uh you know it's not like mike london's biggest issue was recruiting i mean they recruited pretty well i mean the guys they inherited on that roster the stars last year were all guys that that london had recruited uh then you know bronco had a full year uh, where he recruited guys, and it seems like they're more interested in recruiting Hawaii right now than they are Virginia. So uh, I, I think part of the blame is there. I, I, I just don't like it when guys go out there and, and you know, it's just blame the previous staff. I, I just right. dislike that when that happens. I mean, there's there's a point where you can be like, it's a difficult situation we've inherited. And you know, I think even Fuente to agree is like, this is sort of the transition point where you see uh, sort of those late recruiting classes under Beamer where it kind of catches up to them. But he he hasn't said it explicitly like that. And as much as like, oh, my gosh, the previous staff really dropped the ball recruiting uh, at the tail end there. Uh, I feel like that's sort of what Bronco is doing with Mike London. And, you know, the way, you know the, this place needs so much more support in every sense. And, you know, there are no quality players here and stuff like that. I mean, if I'm on the team and I'm, on, I'm looking around, I'm like, am I one of the 27? I mean, that, that's got to be sort of an awkward team meeting at that point, doesn't it? It does. And to your point, I mean, he's worn out that he told that story again at the board of visitors meeting about his first visit of seeing the players and how downtrodden they were. And it's like, okay, you can tell that story at the ACC football kickoff of your first year, you know, we'll all run with it. It's a great story. Uh, but at some point you got to make them feel less glum. You know, you can't back three years and keep going to that story and saying, well, here's what we have to work with. You, you've had some time here to mold that clay. And, and it's, it, it, yeah, I, I think some people in the Virginia fan base, at least if I were a Virginia fan, I, I would be a little bit 
happy about the fact that he's saying some of these harsh things because he's not blowing smoke and saying we're going to win the ACC this year, you know, because they're not. Um, but, you know, he, so he understands the reality of the situation or at least his reality of it, his vision, his version of reality. But uh, the question remains whether he can pull them into a better reality. I'm not sure uh, what the answer is on that yet. I mean, it's, it certainly hasn't looked great so far. The, yeah, the timing of it seems odd, too. I mean, if they went to a bowl game for the first time in you know five or six years, whatever it was last year. I know they finished the season on a down note. They got crushed in that bowl game by Navy, and they lost uh, five of six, I think, coming down the stretch, uh, something like yeah. that. Uh, but it seems like you know making a bowl game was still a pretty big deal for a team that the previous year was 2-10. Uh, I don't know if he's anticipating just this huge drop-off this year, and maybe he's trying to soften the blow with this whole thing, but... Uh, it seems like a very odd thing. And it, it, like, you know, we're talking about context and like, oh, you know, you listen to the whole thing and you have to take that and you get the context. You kind of understand where he's coming from. Uh, there ain't no context on the recruiting trail. I mean, they're going to pick this stuff right. out of there and other coaches and teams are going to use this against you. And they're not going to feel have any qualms about the fact that ah, we took this line a little bit out of context. All they see is the quote and, uh, you know, there are 27 AC like you want to play for a guy who's going to throw you under the bus like this or. Do you want to go to a place where they're going to play terrible games against the worst Power Five competition? I mean, uh, you know, there's no love lost on the recruiting trail, and I think uh, that might be a place where this could be pretty damaging, is because I think a lot of teams will pick up on this. Well, I think Tech fans would argue that they don't have, any, you know, they can't get any worse recruiting than they already are. I mean, the, the recruiting is is really sketchy at this point. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, almost as many players from Hawaii as there are from Virginia on, on the, in the recruiting class, the latest one. Uh, speaking of the Denmark recruit, the, the world cup is starts tomorrow. I can't wait. I love watching it. Even with the U S not in it, I certainly wanted the U S to be in it. And I enjoy watching the U S play in it, but Who's your team? also who you picking? Team? who's your team. Uh, I mean, I who, think I'm who are you rooting, rooting for? Root, I, I should say, I'm going to root for England because I, you know, we, we import their, their best league to our television every Saturday and Sunday morning. And I watch it pretty religiously. And I know a lot of people uh, do. And so I, I, I know how passionate they are about, about the game. They're sort of a star crossed uh, country when it comes to international play, it would be fun to see them and their star player, Harry Kane have a, you know, a great uh, world cup and make a run to maybe the semifinals or even deeper. I don't see it happening. There's better teams out there, but you know, when, when Sports Illustrated suggests we root for Mexico, I'm thinking, well, why would we do that? Because Mexico was our chief rival in the CONCACAF qualifying and losing to them at home was one of the reasons we didn't make the World Cup. You know, like we were, we really want to root for a team that kept us out. Uh, I thought, well, I thought the, the big stumbling reason. block was Trinidad and Tobago's B team. Wasn't that the uh, – <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, the, in Costa Rica and, you know, some of these teams that we should have beaten uh, didn't beat. But uh, Mexico was a big roadblock as well. They always are. And uh, you should be able to qualify out of there regardless. But we didn't. Um, and I find it hard to, to you know, when you're, when you're trumpeting them as your biggest rival in CONCACAF, uh, that you're going to just suddenly turn tail and, and, and root for them to, to, just because they're neighbors. And we have a lot of, uh, you know, Mexican immigrants in our country and, and all that. I don't, I don't see it. Personally, I see England as, as my squad. Are you? Uh, and well, today they announced that the 2026. That's why I brought all this up. The 2026 World Cup will be hosted by the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Sort of a joint hosting deal 
Uh, would you have any interest in, in going to any of those matches uh, eight years down the line? Eh, maybe. I don't know. Like you said, I'm not a soccer game. I love the announcement today that, like, FIFA is so corrupt historically that, like, there was a question whether it would be the United States, Mexico, and, and Canada hosting or Morocco. <laughs> like, right. This, this no continent that no has, like, 100 ready stadiums for, <laughs> for you know, the soccer level that they're going to need versus this country that has, like, one. <laughs> it's like... I mean, I guess they gave it to Qatar, which is like a billion degrees in the summer, and like they're basically playing soccer on lava fields. The temperature is so hot uh, that you're like, I don't know which way they're going to go. And then they finally did the right thing, and people are celebrating like that was some sort of big surprise. Well, they had the, the I think it's I think you pronounce it Cutter, but I'm not sure. Uh, Qatar uh, yeah, Cutter. Sure. They, they, had to, they had to they had to move that to the fall. Nobody wants to. Fall and winter, it's going to be like November, December uh, in, in 2022, and that's no no fun. I mean, you know, then you're running right up against uh, American football, and you know, guys like me don't want that. I want, to, I want to be able to watch it in the summertime when I'm, you know, sitting by the pool at Cherokee. Uh, but, yeah, it, I, I'm looking forward to this World Cup, and I'm certainly looking forward to 2026, uh, and I would like to try to find a way to either be covering some of that or, or in, a, you know, in attendance somehow at some of that stuff. I'm sure it won't be cheap, but it'll be, it'll be a good time. Big party in 2026. Well, All right. You, you ready Charlotte, to get to our draft? Charlotte would have something, right? I mean, one, I don't know. I mean, one I, game it might be, it's I mean, like Foxborough's did, been Foxborough, Philadelphia, maybe the closest. When was the last time they hosted? Was it 90? It was 94, right? Because it, yeah. it was in that whole OJ doc in the that same time frame. I don't. The Carolina Panthers didn't exist at that point, did they? I don't remember. I think they were probably a little after that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you don't have a, a ready stadium there in uh, in Charlotte, then you can't do it. But I, I figure that they would have something like that. Uh, let's see. There, they were founded in 1993. So maybe they did have the stadium. Whatever it was, is relatively new. I think I think Charlotte could possibly be a place that could get in to host at least one game uh, from, I mean, it's going to be a huge field at that point. Don't, aren't they expanding the field? Yeah. Yeah. you need the big stadiums because the demand for those tickets, at least for games involving the U S and or Mexico are, are going to be huge. And in, in all the big teams, the Germany's, the Brazil's, uh, you know, people will come out to see those. Now there'll be some games, you know, the Egypt uh, versus Saudi Arabia or something where you might have sparse crowds, but it should be a, a cool thing. I'm glad. I'm glad it turned out the way it did in Morocco. I mean, you're right. If Morocco had gotten it, it would just been <laughs> FIFA has changed a bit. It's just like Game of Thrones. They just, you know, <laughs> it's all chicanery. But uh, all right, you ready to get to our draft? Let's do it. All right, our draft topic, as again, is the top five non-conference foes we would like to see Virginia Tech football play. Uh, that are not currently playing. And since you've given me the first pick on numerous occasions, I shall give you the first pick in this draft. Okay. Well, I should mention the teams that are not on, not eligible for this because they are on the schedule. And it's Notre Dame, Penn State, West Virginia, uh, Purdue, and Rutgers, in case you want to take either of those, uh, Wisconsin, Maryland, BYU, and Arizona. So none of those will be eligible for our draft. With the first pick, I will take Tennessee. Uh, I know they've played them at the Battle of Bristol. I want to see a home and home between those two schools. They're too close to each other. They're too storied of uh, football programs not to have games on campus between them. I, I know it's a, a difficult hurdle uh, 
to get over because Tennessee doesn't really want to play a team of Virginia Tech's caliber. I mean, I think if they're going to play any of these uh, major teams, they're going to be like the true blue bloods of the sport, or they're going to go to some neutral site and play them uh, like they did at Bristol. But I just think that would be a great regional matchup between these two historically very good football programs that, uh, you know, quite honestly, I think the fans would get really into that. I mean, they got into the Battle of Bristol. I think that was a nice little one-time gimmick. I, I wouldn't really want to see them go back there and play that, but I would love to see the Volunteers come into Lane Stadium. I'd love to see the Hokies go into Neyland Stadium. I think that'd be a good thing. That's a great pick. I love your pick. I wasn't going to take it, but it's a great pick. I don't think, I don't think, first... I, I don't think you're going to take any of the ones that I was going to come up with. You know what? what, I, what I, did... I hear what your logic is going to be. <laughs> I'm, this is why I'm going to go with the one I'm going to go with because I think there's a chance you might take it. I'm going to go with Hawaii. Oh, that, Never was, been not to Hawaii. My, that was not on my list. But Okay. Well, Randy King, a longtime colleague of ours who retired in December, he once covered a whole week of basketball, uh, Virginia Tech basketball in Hawaii. Uh, I, I'm so uber jealous of that. There's no other way I'm probably ever getting to the islands uh, unless it's on the company dime. I, I really would like to see Hawaii and shoot. You know, going into Hawaii, that's no that's no easy place to to win. You know, they they seem to protect their island pretty good. Uh, so and there's a lot of offense up there. So I would pick Hawaii number one. Yeah, I don't think we're going to have much overlap on our list here. <laughs> if I'm guessing what your strategy is going to be based on, based on the Hawaii pick. I, uh, in the second round, I, I would love to go to Hawaii, too. I've never been there. Uh, I guess uh, part of it currently is under lava, so that could be something. But we're not talking about it this year. We're talking about down the line uh, with a, right. a future potential volcanic eruption. Uh, my parents have been there. My brother has been there. Uh, it looks amazing. I've always wanted to go there. I think I looked in there when I was tr- trying to get our honeymoon plans figured out. It's like, that is a long flight to get out there, and it's expensive. We're like, we're just going to Jamaica instead. That's nice and close. Uh, but, yeah, that's sort of been on my list of places I want to visit just because I've never been there, and it looks very, very cool, just everything about it. I go to the Pearl Harbor thing. I do every, I do all the touristy stuff. It'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I would too. I don't know if Pearl Harbor would be all that fun. It'd be, be well, I mean, it'd be, it'd, it'd be amazing to see that. I mean, you hear yeah, about it all the absolutely. time. You know about it historically. I think everybody I've talked to goes to it. And they're like, "This is uh, you know, unbelievable." I know, I know what, I know what you meant. I you're just, killing I'm me here. You're killing me. <laughs> all right, with my right, second, second pick, and uh, yeah, most of my picks are going to be made for football reasons. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get Michigan back on on the schedule. Mich Chicken back on the schedule. I, I mean, it was such a great matchup when they scheduled it. And I think a lot of people, it was scheduled sort of in the aftermath of that Sugar Bowl with, you know, the controversial finish with the Danny Cole catch, non-catch that will still get the Hokies fans riled up more than anything, I think, ever, <laughs> if you ask them about. I, I tweet anything about Michigan and I get a thousand people responding with, it was a catch! It was a catch! Uh, so I think those emotions are still high. I think the fact that Michigan recently canceled a series adds a little bit to it now that all of a sudden, oh, you think you're too good to play Virginia Tech and this whole thing. Uh, I've been to the big house before. It would be very cool to go up there. I think seeing the winged helmets come into Lane Stadium would be a very big deal, just like seeing Notre Dame come in this year would be a very cool thing. Uh, yeah, I just lie. I mean, if you're talking about Midwest schools and Big Ten schools, you've already done the Ohio State thing. Ohio State or Penn State's on the schedule. Wisconsin's on the schedule. You've played Nebraska before. I think Michigan is the other one to check off. And I know they've played up there before, but 
uh, or at least I think they played. No, I, I guess the Sugar Bowl was their first meeting. Wasn't I can't remember now. Now I'm confusing schools. I think. Uh, whatever it is, they have not played often. So if they played uh, in a home and home series, I think that would be very very cool. Yeah, I was looking forward to that trip to the big house as much as you can look forward to a trip that's several years down the road. But yeah, I agree. I, that that was uh, one that I think every fan would circle, and it's a good pick. I like your number two pick. Uh, to be clear, they have never played up there. I was for some reason I was thinking of Auburn, which has played up there. Virginia Tech has never played at, at Michigan. Gotcha. Okay. Well, my second pick is something you won't take, so I'm going to try and get something that you might take, and then I'm going to get my value picks later because you ain't going to take them. Uh, my second pick will be Louisiana State University. Oh, that was on uh, my list. That was down there. Uh-huh. That was on my list. Yes. All right. Jokes well, on you. I'm going to take University of Chapel Hill Cherokee next. That's what I'm going to take. <laughs> yes. If you do that, I'll kill you. No. Um, LSU, I mean, I tell you, we went down there that year that uh, Tyrod shirt got burned, and it was not a good situation with the rain and everything, and the Hokies got destroyed. It wasn't a good game. There was a lot of interesting intrigue that came out of the game because of the quarterback situation. But uh, the atmosphere, I have never seen anything like it. You've uh, covered the SEC, so you've seen it all. But, man, you know, just trying to drive your rental car through that tailgating scene is unlike anything I've ever done. I mean, it's, it's sort of like NASCAR, I guess. Back when Martinsville was the thing to do, uh, you drive and you felt like you were going to kill somebody because it's all drunk people and they were all running right in front of you. And, um, and of course, you're, you're stone cold sober and, and you're just looking for a parking spot. Uh, you can't enjoy any of the fun. But, man, that was a cool, cool place. And, of course, there is a casino in Baton Rouge. There's casinos in New Orleans nearby. There's all sorts of casino opportunities. Louisiana is one of the finest southern states when it comes to uh, accommodating gentlemen like me. So, uh, LSU, you get the nod for number two. That's a good one. I've, I've been there two or three times, I think, before. And, you know, always the play is to go stay in New Orleans the night before and then go to the game in Baton Rouge. I think, yeah. I think it's like an hour and a half, two hours away, something like that. Uh, that is yeah. definitely. It's, I the think way it's less it. than that. I think it's only a little bit over an hour, maybe an hour and ten, something like that. Yeah, I mean that, that's a really good trip. I mean, you talk about traditions of schools and uh, bourbon-soaked Cajuns, as I think a, a Richmond reporter at the time <laughs> wrote in his story. Uh, yeah, just it's everything that you'd want in a college football atmosphere. Uh, and then you have the fun side of it too. Uh, you know, on the trip itself by going to a place like New Orleans. Uh, that would be a very good one. That that was on my list. I don't know if I was going to take it, but it was definitely in the, the schools I was considering. Good. I'm glad I took it off the board. All right. Uh, my third pick, I'm going to go with Texas A&M. And I've, this was a series that was played before, 2002-2003. was a home-and-home. Home. Uh, they've completely renovated that stadium down there since then. Uh, this was actually a series that was in ta- – they were in talks to do this a few years ago when Jim Weaver was the athletic director. Uh, I, I'd always call him up, and he'd be like, oh, I've got something that uh, yeah, I'm working on that I can't tell you about. And then like two seconds later, but off the record, it's Texas A&M. <laughs> it's like <laughs> he would always just like, oh, we want to get this done. And uh, it was very, he was very eager to get that series done. They never quite could do it. I just think there's so much that's similar between those programs. Uh, you know, they got the core cadets thing that they have when it's, uh, you know, very football-heavy schools. Uh, I, I just think they're sort of in the same place 
in the football world, and now you add to it the Jimbo factor and going in there. I think that'd be a very interesting thing. Uh, you know, they don't go to Texas too often to play. You know, I think University of Texas would be on my list too, but I think Texas A&M might be a more realistic uh, opponent. I, I don't know how realistic, but I think maybe more realistic uh, than actually playing Texas. But uh, it's a place I just like to go is College Station and see the whole the twelfth man and the, you know they got the border collie that's out there as the mascot. I think everything about that would be really cool to see. And I didn't see it the first time around in two thousand two and two thousand three, whichever year they went out there. Uh, so I think it'd be I think that'd be something that Hokies fans would like. Oh, I'm sure they would. I, I was I'm old enough that I was around for those two games and I went to to Aggieland for those for that game. Uh, my wife actually spent one year at Texas A&M before transferring to Maryland, and she spoke very highly of Texas A&M and the culture and the and the yeah how cool the football atmosphere was. And I was disappointed by it. To be honest, really? sort of a Permani Brothers type of scenario. They weren't very loud. Um, now it was a you know day game, maybe it was a noon game, I think, maybe a three o'clock game. But uh, they weren't loud, and they were very regimented in everything they did, which you can understand with the Corps of Cadets situation. But like everything they did was choreographed. You know, the cheers, uh, the day a yell leader who you know uh, took the crowd through the paces. You know, and it was like well, where's the organic just excitement about a game? You know, where's the just the, the deafening noise that I expected and the intimidating atmosphere? And, of course, Virginia Tech got out of there with a victory, too. Um, so that lowered my uh, level of, you know, because when you go to LSU and they, they kick the crap out of Tech, you're like, man, this really is what everybody says it is at night. You know, it's just that hard to win here. But when you go to Texas A&M and it's sort of a slog fest and then Tech wins and goes home, um, I was – I wasn't blown away with the atmosphere. I know for a fact, though, that Tech fans have a lot of respect for A&M fans and vice versa. The letters that we ran in the paper from people in College Station when they came to Blacksburg to visit and and attend that game when it was in, in Blacksburg – uh, we're just glowing about how tech fans were great to them and how the, they loved Blacksburg and how, uh, you know, the, the universities have so much in common and they, you know, they wish they played every year because, you know, the Corps of Cadets connection and, and just sort of the whole engineering thing. Um, I, yeah, there's a lot to like about a series with Texas A&M. I just think the one thing that you may be disappointed with if it ever happened would be Kyle Field and the atmosphere. I think you caught Texas A&M at- Texas A&M at a, sort of a down period. I'm looking at that. 2002 was the year of the trip out there. They were 6-6. Six and six. It was R.C. Slocum's last year. Uh, that was his worst record since his first year in 96 when he was there. Uh, they didn't make a bowl game for the first time in six years. Uh, so I wonder if that would factor in. Uh, I think a lot has changed, certainly with sort of how Texas A&M's profile has changed. I mean, now they're in the SEC. Uh, they're sort of the hotshot SEC uh, Texas school, even though they haven't broken through necessarily other than that Johnny Manziel year. I just think there's a lot of potential there, and that could be a very good team down the line. That uh, I think that would be an interesting one to go to. I, I'd like to see it now versus what it was you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, definitely the style of the game would be a lot more attractive, no question. All right, for my third pick, uh, this was actually number one on my list, but since I took the value picks ahead of this, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas. I think that's pretty obvious. We knew where you were going with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, you I could probably get a comp room out there, have some fun. You know, and the, the game would be sort of interesting just because you don't see a lot of the West Coast Conference type offenses or Mountain West, whatever league they're in, and and so you just you know, but it wouldn't be one of those things where you know everybody's 
you know, locked into it and says, oh, this is a must-win game or anything. So, you know, it would be a little bit of relaxation uh, when you're hungover in the press box. You know, you wouldn't be like, oh, God, i got to really be on my A game today. You, you can see that most of these picks are very selfish uh, in nature. For me, I don't know how much the fans would, would like this trip or, or even uh, the return trip certainly wouldn't be uh, that appealing to them. But for me, uh, it's up there. It's 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 my number three pick, but it's really number one in my heart. I feel like they they have to move that game to the uh, the new Raiders stadium once that comp- that's complete. That'd be like a, an additional selling point, I think. I don't think you want to play in that crappy Las Vegas stadium, whatever it is they have out there. There's nothing in matter. Las Vegas is crappy. Nothing in Las Vegas is crappy. I, I disagree. I, I remember I watched <laughs> Wisconsin open the season at Las Vegas out there and it was like the third quarter middle of the third quarter something like that and the power went out and they couldn't get it back on and the game just <laughs> like went like the in and, and like i think all the bets were void or something like that it's like oh nothing yeah. shady about that the, the power went out <laughs> uh that whole thing no i i would definitely go to vegas i have not been to vegas since i turned 21 i think i went there on a road trip after my freshman year of college and i was like 19 or something like that so we couldn't go in the casinos i mean they were on you in a second if you were in there uh, so, but you know, I, I saw all the sites in Las Vegas and stuff like that, but I would like to go back now that I am of legal gambling age to go in and do all the stuff that, uh, you can do in Las Vegas. But yeah, I certainly would not turn down a trip to Las Vegas. Going to Vegas before you're 21 is like going and having a picnic by the James river and not taking a tube out and floating down it. Come on, man. You got to get out there. I, you and I should go out there sometime. I can show you, the, show you around. It was part of a larger road trip. It was a three and a half road trip, week road trip out west, where we hit basically everything, every state and city uh, on the west coast, uh, and the mountains and such. So that was just one stop on the whole thing. It wasn't a, a Vegas centric trip. Gotcha. All right, who you got for number four? Fourth round. Hmm. I feel like I've taken a couple SEC teams. I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I think that would be a really interesting matchup right now. I mean, obviously, it's a, a premier program in the country. I've never been to Norman to see a game. But if they ever scheduled that in the near future, which you know they won't because they have all these games lined up and stuff like that, but you look at the coaching connections between those two staffs where obviously Justin Fuente went to Oklahoma. Uh, Shane Beamer is at Oklahoma now. Uh, that's a premier program that, you know, just played in the playoff, uh, last year and historically has been one of the best, uh, in the country. Uh, I think that'd be a really cool matchup. I I've never been out there. I, I don't think I've been to Oklahoma, the state, uh, somehow have not hit that in my travels. Uh, but to go out there and see a, a stadium that's sort of, uh, one of the best in, in college football and see a program that's up there, uh, that'd be a cool one. Cause you don't see that Virginia tech go and play big 12 teams often. Uh, so if they could get that in the matchup and sort of expand uh, beyond the, the regionality thing that they do with all their scheduling, I think that'd be a, a very interesting thing to do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we saw how much intrigue there was just with Oklahoma state and Oklahoma is another level above that. So yeah, I agree. That'd be a cool one. And yeah, all the connections with the coaching staff would be interesting if, if they did it within the next few years and, and you, you still have the same coaching staff for sure. But yeah, that's a that's a good pick. Uh, it seems like you're you're just kind of taking the best teams in the country. But uh, you know, no, you do well, you do you. But my you last you, pick will be based on a little more than that. Texas A&M okay. is not the best team in the country. Tennessee is not the best. In, Tennessee is one of the worst teams in the SEC last year. Come on, come on now. That's that's true. That's true. You take, but you are taking name brands. That's that's 
that's one thing you're doing. Well, yeah, I'm not uh, taking I'm UNLV go... here. <laughs> My next pick, uh, Nevada Reno. Uh, I would yes. like to go to Reno. Yes, I'm, I'm <laughs> certainly taking all the name brands compared to Nevada Reno. That much is clear. Uh, wait till you hear my fifth pick. I am not. Uh, I have never been to Reno. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming I would love Reno because it's like a mini Vegas. Uh, and I'm more of a, you know, I don't do a lot of the nightlife stuff, really. I don't do the big body shows. Uh, I just, I like the gambling aspect. And I do like the pools and the desert, desert air and all those things. Uh, which I think Reno would provide for me just as much as Las Vegas would. And I may end up finding that I like Reno better. Uh, So I want to go to Reno. Uh, I haven't had a chance, and this would provide that opportunity. I have no idea how good their football team is right now. Uh, I know they've had some years where they've been decent, uh, but uh, they're, you know, that doesn't matter to me. I just want to go to Reno. All right. So you got two, schools in nevada on here we should we should mention that these are never going to happen they're never going to go to nevada to play any uh football games that's why this is a sort of a pipe dream exercise with some of these you don't think they would ever ever do that no i don't think so i think it's a little too far and if you're if you're going to go out there like they are in 2030 or something like that to play a school like arizona that's a little bit more yeah uh name brand than that but i (laughs) I certainly would not see them traveling to nevada reno for any reason las vegas maybe just because you know desiree reed francois is the athletic director there and perhaps there's a connection there just because the the athletic directors know each other but i think even that is a pretty much a, a long shot in this whole scenario well, all right my, my I, last a man, a man pick, can dream my last pick since it sounds like you're going to go a little off the board with this last one i'm going to cheat on this last one i'm going to take three teams that i think just make sense regionally that just for some reason Virginia Tech doesn't play South Carolina Georgia and Auburn I feel like that's sort of a an SEC trio that is drivable uh for fans uh they have huge stadiums they have huge followings uh any one of those matchups I think would be a real highlight on the Hokies schedule South Carolina you know they used to play each other a lot more frequently uh, than they have I think 1990 early 90s is when that uh, series sort of got scuttled there uh, but Georgia, I don't think there's really any history between the programs there. And Auburn, it's, it's, it's only that uh, 2004 season Sugar Bowl that they have. But I think all three of those schools, I just, you know, when people talk about, oh, Virginia Tech sort of joined the SEC, I, I, I part of me is like it would have made sense from the sense that Virginia Tech is sort of a like-minded school like those schools that I just mentioned. I mean, I just, the atmosphere around the program, the stadium, I think just everything about it sort of reminds me of those schools uh, which is why I think they should play each other more often. More often than never, right. I should say. Yeah, that's a great pick. And if I were doing a serious draft, really, I, I think those those three would all be on my list. That's uh, why I took are, the liberty all... to, to take all three, because I knew that you wouldn't, and I, I figured they should be mentioned at least. Well, I kicked around several for my fifth and final pick. And uh, Tulane is on there because they're in the heart of New Orleans. Uh, but that's too similar to LSU, so I'm, I'm not going to take that. Uh, I also considered uh, Wyoming. Uh, I have a lot of family ties to Wyoming. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I've covered a game uh, in Wyoming before. How, how was it uh, just, you know, surrounding area and stuff? Was it, oh, was it, it gorgeous? Was incredible. You're well, you yeah. fly into Denver and then you drive up through there, but I mean, it's it's like driving through a movie scene, like a western, like it's yeah. unbelievable. Especially the way coming back, uh, what's it, Laramie? Is that? 
I forget where I think so, yeah. Wyoming is. But anyway, we're driving back. You take, you know, take like the interstate. You take sort of this mountain road coming back, and you're like, this is amazing. This, like, the views out here are unbelievable. So yes, I, I would recommend that. I'd, you know, the Virginia opener. I went out there. I don't even think they had a hundred yards of offense in that game and lost to Wyoming. Uh, so I, I don't. You, you're walking into a viper pit when you go out there. So I don't know if you want to schedule that one. Yeah, I'm not taking it. Um, Southern Miss was on my list because it's very close to casinos. Not taking that. Uh, I am going to go completely off the board and schedule a home-and-home with an FBS program, or sorry, an FCS program. Montana. Montana, this is a a highly highly irregular thing that Whip Babcock is doing. Why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it for AMAC. Uh, AMAC always wanted to go to Montana, so he's scheduled a home and home with an FCS foe. Man, if you just look, I just I could look at a, a brochure of Montana all day long and just just sit there and dream. I mean, it is, is uh, as pretty as it gets. Uh, just nothing but rough uh, nature. I mean, I you know, it's it's like West Virginia plus. You know, it's like it's great, and I uh, love everything about those kinds of places and would love to kind of do a quick in and out two day deal in Montana. I have been to Montana, that aforementioned uh, road trip on the uh, out West. Uh, I believe that's a state that didn't have the, the state speed limit uh, during the day. Yes. Uh, we got the minivan up to like 110 miles per hour <laughs> on that trip. <laughs> uh, but we stayed at some guy's place out there that like friends of a friends that were, who were on the trip. And uh, it was, like, amazing. It was sort of up, like, halfway up this hill, like, next to a mountain. And, like, you sat on the deck. And, and I think the guy's like, when you look out here, you can see an area the size of Delaware. <laughs> it's like you just look out at this <laughs> expansive space. Uh, you know, he's like, if any bobcats come up, just act very big. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work out if that's the case. But I, everything about uh, uh, Wyoming or Montana, I should say, Wyoming too, but Montana especially, I think, is very interesting. Yeah, and I also consider all those other, you know, the Colorados and the Colorado states, too. I mean, I, I do – I need to take my kids out west. So that's kind of what I'm – this exercise has taught me. I need to take them out there, and they need to see some of nature's beauty, and I need to enjoy it as well. But until then, we'll just keep going to casinos. Um, all right, let's get out of here with a prediction. There's nothing really going on in sports right now other than the World Cup and baseball. And uh, World Cup, I know you're not a huge soccer fanatic, but you do have a pick. So I'll let you go first. You, uh, who's going to win this World Cup that begins tomorrow in Russia? Germany. I'm going with the defending champs. That's not very interest, interesting, I should say. Uh, I'm going to cite this stat, though. I think a lot of people are picking Brazil or Argentina and stuff. Brazil was the last South American team to win the FIFA World Cup in European territory, doing it in Sweden in 1958. I just don't like the South Americans' chances of doing it in Russia. So I'm going to go with a, a European power. Uh, we'll go with Germany. That's boring, but that's what I'm doing. Are you impressed by my soccer knowledge? That's good. That's a good factoid, and it it really runs rough shot over my pick, which is the other co-favorite, Brazil. Um, I think Neymar is on another level right now. He, I, I watched one of their friendlies earlier this week. Uh, I may have had a short-term investment on it, but uh, it was, uh, you know, he's he's playing out of his mind, and he, he's he's ready to take over this tournament, I think. But I'm excited to see all, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, this is probably his last World Cup as a leading man. You know, like he, he'll be, I think, 37 the next time they play in a World Cup. 
So he, you know, he'll play probably for the Cristiano Ronaldo that we know and love. Messi, you know, this is uh, almost certainly his final World Cup for Argentina. Uh, so a lot of opportunities to see players that we don't uh, get a ton of look at during the during the regular course of the fall and winter. Uh, I'm excited to watch all of it. I'll, I'll watch every match. I mean, I'll have it on uh, as I'm working um, from tomorrow's Russia tilt to the the, the final. And as some of it will be watched while I'm, you know, at a pool bar in, in Cherokee, but I will keep an eye on stuff. And I'll probably write quite a bit about it because I'm the only guy in the, in the sports department who, who really cares about uh, soccer. So, and it's the only thing going on. So I'm I will watch it. To it. I will watch it. And I love the international competition side of it. I love the fanfare, the, the uniforms, everything about it. I just don't like the soccer part of it. <laughs> like, I just wish they could be doing this. I just wish they could be doing this for like baseball or something like that. I just, I don't know. I, there's only so much I can get in the soccer. Like I'll cover it and in high school soccer, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I'll cover it. And sometimes I even get a little bit into it, but I just, on a regular basis, I just can't get into soccer that much. Yeah, I get it. It's okay. Um, all right. Well, that's about all for today. Please stay tuned to Andy's blog at roanoke.com and read the pages of the Roanoke Times in the coming weeks as this whole quarterback thing shakes out. And any recruiting news that comes out, Andy will be all over that as well. So, and we'll get together as soon as we have enough to make another one of these. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.